Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I was lying in bed during the last segment. Sometimes my uh, gallbladder wounds get to me and I feel the need to lay down. Um, And I'm on painkillers, so that makes me all woozy. But uh, Joe was uh, doing the Jesse Smollett trial, and so the jury's got the case now? Is that what you yeah. said? Yeah, they're deliberating, last I heard. Well, Jonah Goldberg tweeted out yesterday from the dispatch about Black Lives Matter. When mainstream journalists treat this organization as just another mainstream civil rights organization, they are normalizing a truly fringe and ridiculous outfit. If you don't believe me, read this statement. This is the statement from Black Lives Matter about the Jesse Smollett trial. And I'm only going to read you part of it because it just goes on and on and on with the same sort of circular crap. Uh, as, uh, the below is a statement from Dr. Melina Abdullah, director of Black Lives Matter Grassroots and co-founder of BLM Los Angeles, regarding the ongoing trial of Jesse Smollett. As abolitionists, we approach situations of injustice with love and align ourselves with our community. Because we got us. So let's be clear. We love everybody in our community. It's not about a trial or a verdict decided in a white supremacist charade. It's about how we treat our community when corrupt systems are working to devalue their lives. And in an abolitionist society, this trial would not be taking place. And our communities would not have to uh, suffer from the white supremacy. And it goes on that way for pages. I'm already a little lost here. (laughs) All right. Wow. how is the Jesse Smollett thing a product of white supremacy? I don't know. But Jonah Goldberg is right. Black Lives Matter is a fringe whack job network. Way to go donating millions of dollars to them, idiotic virtue signaling misguided dip S corporations. The uh, uh, the notion of Black Lives Matter is perfectly legit. And I assume when I see most people with a Black Lives Matter sticker on their backpack or sign in the yard, that's what they're talking about. Not the organization, because I think most people don't realize the organization is a fringe nut job organization. You would not hear that, even though it's clearly true. You would not hear that unless you listen to this show or, or generally uh, patronize conservative media. The mainstream and even the moderate media has been terrified to say anything like that. Or they're ideologically just not inclined to. But, no, that truth is just that's strict verboten. It's taboo. You well, dare not speak its name. Well, we know people that have been on the wrong side of that issue and lost their jobs. So, yeah. Yeah, just don't give Twitter a ball bat to hit you with. I want to mention this again because it's kind of an interesting wrinkle in the whole abortion thing. California has unveiled plans to become an abortion sanctuary state if the Supreme Court does overturn Roe versus Wade. And that proposal would include paying for travel, you know, bus or flight, lodging, and procedures for people from other states who want to have an abortion. So an abortion sanctuary state doesn't just mean you can come in from another state. California taxpayer, apparently, is going to pay for your flight and your lodging, and I would guess your food, and the operation. According to the Lunkhead uh, governor, known especially for dining early, he says, we'll be a (laughs) sanctuary. We had an early dinner. Oh, okay. We'll be a sanctuary. Patients will likely travel to California from other states to seek abortions. We're looking at ways to support that inevitability and looking at ways to expand our protections. Some of the report's details will be included in the budget proposal in January. Also, the state is going to budget taxpayer money for funding abortion groups to provide care, funding support infrastructure at abortion clinics, improving medical abortion policies, give more protections to those seeking abortions, and even help them fund travel, lodging, and procedure costs for those otherwise unable to afford the procedure. Is that uh, constitutional? I'm not smart enough to know that. 
Good Lord, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if California routinely provides expensive uh, benefits to people who just walk across the border in defiance of our laws, you know, who am I to say you can't uh, give stuff away to people who fly from Alabama? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. We give all kinds of uh, goodies out to people that I don't agree with politically, and um, and they do it. I was at the emergency room, what was it, Friday night, when I thought my back hurt. turned out to be my gallbladder. But I, was, I went to urgent care. Urgent care is so clearly the hospital for people who don't have health insurance and mm-hmm. probably aren't citizens. I mean, that's so clearly what it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, back to the abortion thing, uh, and I made this point before, but people don't understand this around the country. I've, I've talked to you know people all over the place. And, and, you know, they hear about people leaving California and they talk about, oh, yeah, the taxes. Oh, yeah. And maybe they mention the traffic or crowds or, uh, or whatever, or even wildfire, stuff like that. What, what people don't understand is that I think a lot of Californians hear something like this and they just don't want to be party to it. They don't want to participate in it. They, well, they don't want their tax dollars to go to it, but I just, you know, I don't know. It's a, you know, I show up to a party and there's a dog fight there. I'm leaving that party. I don't want to be at a party that does that. So anyway, that's just disgusting. Good Lord, Cal Unicornia. How crazy is it going to get? I'm just going through my notes that I got here from various things I've come across. Here's somebody that tweeted this out. I don't know who this person is, but they're a sociology student at some university. My sociology classmates straight up denied that men are on average taller and stronger than women due to genetic differences and not due to inequitable training. Bunch of college students, and I don't know if they really believed it or if they were just saying it, but they said it publicly. The fact that men are stronger and faster and taller than women on average is due to inequitable training. Are you effing kidding me? <laughs> oh, 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 my God. I know. Uh, well, so how do you describe that person? Well, you know how I describe them. Ideology neuters. It blinds common sense. It blinds intelligence. It's like a drug you take that makes your mind scrambled. Apparently. That's something. That's Apparently. Something. Speaking of science, we went big on this early in the show today, and I think it bears repeating. Um, I was shocked to see when I, uh, I can't remember, it was before the show, at some point I flip on to the uh, New York Times, um, their uh, electronic version, and the number one lead story with the biggest uh, you know letters in the headlines, the first thing you see, coronavirus cases are rising among children in South African hospitals. And I'm like, okay. Okay, so what? They mentioned it was a couple of hospitals. Doctors still do not know if the children have the Omicron variant, but the rise in positive test points to increased community transmission, they say. Well, given the fact that the Omicron is utterly taken over South Africa and a bunch of different places in terms of the variant, and given the fact that every indication thus far is that it is not a killer, except in very, very rare cases, it seems to be a very mild respiratory disease, like a common cold, this headline ought to be a bunch of children in South African hospitals catch colds. Why in the world is this the lead story in the New York Times? And it's got to be because of the now cultish fixation on COVID-19. 
exactly when we ought to be moving off of it. We are done with the pandemic. We are into the endemic. We are into the period where it's everywhere. Everybody gets it now and again. It's fine. Almost nobody dies of it, except the especially vulnerable. God bless their souls. But the idea that we should be fixated on this and a bunch of kids catching a cold in South Africa should be the headline is crazy. It's Looney Tunes. Anybody who's jabbed wants to be jabbed is jabbed. Anybody who's not is not. We're all going to get it. Even if you are jabbed, you're probably going to get it. You're probably not going to go to the hospital or die, but you're going to get it. We are past the pandemic, people. Uh, among things we could talk about, the recent survey of young voters about what their top issues are politically, and they aren't what you think they are, and who's the most popular politician in America for young people. That one you might get right if you're guessing. Uh, and a number of other things we can talk about. Oh, yeah, and back to the COVID thing just briefly. This whole call for even more testing, everybody should be tested. That is exactly wrong. That is exactly wrong. What good does it do me to know X million asymptomatic people who are just going to be fine to have a cold? If somebody is sick, by God, treat them. If somebody is really struggling, test them for COVID, bring them to the doctor, get them treated, figure out what treatments are best, get them in the hospital and deal with them. Testing a bunch of school kids who are going to be perfectly fine. What the hell is the purpose of that, especially now that we are clearly into the endemic part of this? God, it makes me insane. People have lost their minds. It's like they're, 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 they've got like this, this emotional fever going and they can't slow down and say, let's reassess. Let's talk about what's actually going on. And you got the freaking Anthony Fauci still lecturing. You know what? I represent science. Yes, I know. Oh my God. You represent people who should have retired a decade ago. Michael, play clip 70. This is from MSNBC, of course. So I would prefer, and we all would prefer, that people would be voluntarily getting vaccinated. But if they're not going to do that, sometimes you've got to do things that are unpopular, but that clearly supersede individual choices and are directed predominantly at the communal good. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about requirements. What they're talking about is forced jabbings. At this point? You're going to have mandates like with hardcore enforcement mechanisms at this point? What are you talking about? It, it gives even worse. You're going to have the family and friends over for the holiday? Here's, here's Santa Fauci's uh, hints for a happy holiday party. 71. I don't have 71. We don't have 71. This has happened a couple of times today. I would suggest that the A&G team get together and perhaps and hash out now. how this occurs. Now we have it. Great. <laughs> when you get vaccinated I mean, and you have a vaccinated group and you are in an indoor setting, you could enjoy, as we have traditionally over the years, dinners and gatherings within the home with people who are vaccinated. And that's the oh, reason oh, oh, why oh, oh. people should, if they invite people over their home, essentially ask and maybe require that people show evidence that they are vaccinated. Well, there's Santa Fauci coming down the chimney with a load of crap. Well, in his defense, people keep asking him this question. Why do you ask this guy whether or not you can have Christmas? I don't understand that mindset. It would never cross my mind in a million years to ask somebody else what I can do with my personal life as far as getting together for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Well, you should probably demand that all your guests be jabbed, says Santa Fauci. Fauci Claus. I don't think real yeah, people like are doing Fauci that. Fauci Claus better. Come Fauci Claus is pretty good. Yeah. I represent science. Oh, shut up. At what Seriously, point will he go up. away from my life? At what I've point never, will I never... I've, 
I've never balled a fist against a senior citizen in my life. Well, good but to be there proud. There are days. <laughs> That's something to be proud of. There, you've never punched an elderly man. Oh, good for you, or woman, uh, and never yeah, will, of course. When will Fauci be out of my life? When will I not hear another word from him, and he just retires wherever he's going to be? Uh, I, think, I mean, it's got to happen soon. I think there are forces in America, including the media, that still look at the COVID as their ratings promotion. It's it's their clickbait. Michael, know. what do you have for us? I'll bet you he gets a talk show. Oh, oh boy, nice God, he's old. He'll he's... interview celebrities, and yeah, <laughs> he was and one it... of the sexiest men of the year. Remember from uh, People oh. Magazine? Oh, please do shut up. Um, no, when Doctor Oz gets elected to the Senate, he'll probably take his uh, his uh, show, Doctor Fouch. There you go. There you go. Um, what issues are young people into? We've got a bunch of things we can get to. If you can stay with us. Can you stay with us? I hope you can stay with us. Stay with us right here. Armstrong and Getty. So Mike Rose involved in this some level? Is he singing? I'll bet he's singing that super low part. Yeah, he was an operatic baritone. Right. Get the job done. Don't you know that Santa Claus got a dirty job? So you think the dirty job? That's Mike Rose. Yeah, that's yeah. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Now look for that wherever you find who, Christmas who da- music. Who Daddy's singing with? Big and Rich. Big and Rich. Yeah. yeah okay. I was told. And, uh, yes. John Go Rich. Ahead, Mike. Huh? He's singing lead with John Rich. Okay. Oh, okay. I'll have to play that for my kids. Sounds amusing. Um, Well done. Well done, I say. Here's another one of those polls. Politico did a poll on the term Latinx with the same results every other poll has done on that idiotic term that (laughs) NPR uses. No, that's the the result. NPR uses Latinx all the time, but only 2% of Hispanics polled refer to themselves as Latinx, while 68% call themselves Hispanics, 21% favor Latino and Latina. Um, According to the survey... More problematic for Democrats is that 40% said Latinx actually bothers or offends them to some degree. Yeah, I can see why, because it's a bunch of people who aren't Hispanic, Hispanic telling you how you should refer to your ethnicity. That's right. Rich, overeducated white people are telling you how to refer to yourselves, you silly brown people. 30% said they would be less likely to support a politician or organization that uses the term. That's actually, hilarious. And NPR still uses it all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the only term they use for that sort of people. Uh, I actually, uh, one of our beloved listeners brought to our attention via the email line, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com, that the uh, newest term is Philippinex, that you're supposed to use that. And as one of my uh, children, their significant other, is of Filipino descent, I will have to ask that person whether they indeed are in favor of Philippinex. I suspect that that person will guffaw in my face. <laughs> well, I'll bet they've never even heard of it, because that's Probably what usually not. happens. Um, a Democratic strategist who works on trying to get the Hispanic Hispanic vote told Politico, the numbers suggest that using Latinx is a violation of the political Hippocratic Oath, which is to first do no electoral harm. But keep doing uh, it, by all wh- means. Why are we using a word that is preferred by only 2% but offends as many as 40% of those voters that we want to win? Pretty funny. Ideology makes people crazy. It makes them do and say crazy things. Yeah. 
But you're right. New York Times is is on board with the NPR. They use Latinx all the time. <laughs> it's just it's just hilarious. Yeah, I know. It's it's I'm I'm in favor of it. It's great. I mean, it's like uh, the the crazy ass DAs that we were talking about earlier. Who are oh, that reminds me. I want to play that George Cascone clip more. What could what be a more strange ranger he is? What could be more racist and condescending than as a white person to use a term? For a, a, a crowd of people that they don't like, right? I know, or have ever even heard of, right? And to insist that they use it too, it's just crazy. But wow. anyway, there there are a number of progressive things going on that, as a guy who'd prefer to see uh, conservative candidates elected, I just pray they keep doing it, right? Yeah, like I'm happy that new mayor of New York, Eric Adams, is uh, focusing on crime and locking people up. Um, I that, I hope that becomes popular. But if it doesn't, it's going to be good for the Republicans. mm Hmm. Yeah, well, uh, you know, he'll draw a good contrast with the the wackadoo Democrats. He's the same guy. He's a reasonable guy, I think. It took Democrats decades to dig out of the whole soft on crime vibe that they had, like all through the '60s and '70s. Mm-hmm. They finally dug out of it, and then uh, now you now you're going back. All right, yeah, en- enjoy that. Yeah, um, we got more on the new meth. Uh, yeah, indeed. Well, drugs in general, and there is no more safe recreational drug use. According to a leading author on the topic, and as a guy who knew his way around a party, I think he's right. Stay tuned for that. Wow, that's interesting. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Thanks for being here. It's the Armstrong and Getty Show. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to chat at length with Sam Quinones, the journalist and author of the book, The Least of Us, True Tales of America and Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth. Uh, it's the uh, He's the author of the book that was uh, excerpted uh, at length in The Atlantic that we talked about with the new meth and that sort of thing. It's that guy. Uh, terrific conversation. It's available. It's an Armstrong and Getty extra-large podcast at armstrongandgetty.com or wherever you get podcasts. Uh, we're playing you a couple of chunks during the show, during the radio show, just to give you a flavor of it and because it's just so good. And, and the book sounds terrific. Um, uh, let's see, Michael, that's right. Oh, yeah, let's start. This is this is going out to all of us who grow up in the, the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever, when, you know, at a party, you'd, you know, do whatever you want to do. Some of you didn't, that's fine. I totally respect that. But, you know, there were dabblers among us. We'll just leave it at that. Sam Quinones, clip 93. So before we get more into the logistics of the thing, uh, help us understand the toll. How many people are dying of fentanyl overdoses? Oh my goodness! A, a great, great numbers, hundred thousand a year. Every talk uh, they have, they just came out with uh, uh, statistics. The CDC did that uh, between April uh, twenty-one, uh, April twenty, and April twenty-one. A uh, hundred thousand people died of overdoses. That's the, the a record that we've never gone over a hundred thousand uh, before in the history of this country. Um, it's it's in, in very high numbers in many many states. There's a few where it's dropped off. But, I mean, it, this is happening con- constantly all across the country, and largely um, it's because of the mixing. It's also because the, the trafficking world, particularly at the street level, has turned to, making, to mixing fentanyl into other drugs. So I, I don't believe there's any cocaine anymore in America that you can actually trust not to have fentanyl in it. Wow. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's like almost everything, you know. The great actor who was in The Wire, Michael K. Williams, he had a cocaine problem he was struggling with for many years. 
Um, he died uh, not from the cocaine, but from the, from the fentanyl that was in his in his the batch that, or the, the the packet or whatever it is that he he bought. Uh, you see these things happening uh, frequently all across the country. He was a celebrated case, but I mean, there's many, many, many cases all across the country. It's also the way through which the African American community has been dying of uh, in the opioid epidemic. When I wrote Dreamland, I could safely say I didn't speak with any black people for Dreamland because it was really a white issue. It was like 95% of all victims were white, right? Right. And yeah. what, but with fentanyl, what's happened is dealers at the, in, the, in the black community have figured out, if I could, as dealers have all across the country, I put my fentanyl, which is dirt cheap, but they're very cheap, a little bit of fentanyl into cocaine, all of a sudden they'll boost it. Get a bigger, but also what it'll do is it's almost like a, a business um, expansion move. So if you have a, a cocaine buyer, normally those folks will buy every few days. Maybe they'll take a week vacation from the dope or whatever, maybe even a month vacation, whatever. They're not consistent buyers. But once you have an opioid addict, that, that, that person has to buy from you every single day. No vacation because the dope sickness is, is a bear, and wow. they're trying to keep the dope sickness away. And so what, what ends up happening is from a cocaine customer, you add fentanyl to the cocaine, pretty soon you have an opioid addict. And this is happening all across the country uh, uh, as well. What, what's happening now is the people who have survived their first exposure to fentanyl, now they're addicted to, uh, to, to, to the drug, and they need fentanyl. So now heroin is almost worthless, right? Heroin is worthless because there's no um, – it won't – it's too, too mild to keep the dope sickness away. Now you need fentanyl. And the problem is there, again, as I was saying earlier, the mix is, is frequently so unpredictable and – the only thing you can really predict about it is that it's going to be bad eventually. Uh, whatever you use will eventually be a bad mix and, w- and will, will kill you. And that's kind of what's happening uh, now all across, all across the country. It used to just be happening in the area where the opioid epidemic was bad. You know, the first state, really, Ohio, was the place where it, where it first started. And that's in, the, in, my, in the book, The Least of Us, in, in, in the book that I just published, I focus on um, Akron and Cleveland and some of these other towns. Where, where this first hit in 2014, Cincinnati, and then into West Virginia as well, it didn't really hit, <clears throat> pardon me, the West Coast, I would say, until maybe, you know, 2018. It, it, it took, takes a while before it kind of catches up. And I know enough about drugs and addiction, and some of my musical heroes have died of uh, overdoses, that when, when folks stumble on the road to recovery, they decide to go back and have another hit or whatever, Often their tolerance is down from where it was, and they'll take yeah. the same hit, for instance, of heroin that they used to. It'll kill them. Well, this has got to be that effect times, I don't know, 10 times 100 in, in terms of, of the risk of having one more hit. That's the thing. There's no more um, in America. There's no more surviving recreational drug use anymore. That's that's the wow. the bottom line, I have to say that. The, you, you know, I, I'm 62. I grew up in an era when you, it was like almost like rude not to, you know, take a line of cocaine at some parties and so on. And the, the truth is that um, that, that is uh, those days. I mean, every, every, every line of cocaine, every, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, 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 these are, um, um, you know, it's Russian roulette. Right, right. So, hey, so listen. Those old ideas are gone. Well, and on that theme, how does that new reality relate to the criminal justice system, for instance? Uh, One more clip, Michael. 99, please. Sam Kenyonis. 
Well, it, it strikes me that all of us who grew up in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, maybe we were partiers, maybe not, conservative, liberal, whatever, we need to just completely reapproach the question of drug use and legalization and what's partying and what's yeah. not. I mean, all the facts have changed. I mean, other than I'm thinking back yeah. to when, you know, I when I was a kid or, or a you know, college student, whatever, if, if you overdid LSD... You could really screw your mind, and ecstasy was just coming on the scene when I was in college, and there were definitely some people who did themselves serious damage, but, I mean, whether it's the much, much more potent yeah. pot or what we've been talking about, it's just the, the equation, all the factors in the equation have changed. That's, that's absolutely, yeah, very astute observation. I think that that's actually the truth. All the, all the myths that we used to scoff at, frankly, because, frankly, a lot of them were myths. They were silly, you know. Um, uh, back in the 30s, 50s, 70s, whatever it was, you know, I, I got some of the stuff when I was in school too, and I knew it wasn't really true what they were saying, you know, so I laughed at it. But, well, all those myths have become reality. Yeah. You can die from a line of cocaine. One hit of meth can uh, lead to you going out of your mind. Uh, you know, pyropotent pot can lead you to be, um, uh, 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 you know, it, it, yeah, to send you to an ER with a psychotic uh, ep- episode. You know, uh, heroin does kill one, one hit of heroin does kill you. You know, that is the, the reality of today. And so the facts have changed, but frequently our, um, our, how shall I put it? Our thinking has not. Yeah. There's still this idea that, that, you know, we shouldn't arrest people for this stuff frequently about the only place that people are safe. And I hate to put it this way because it's, it's, it's a nuanced idea. But frequently, about the only people are people are safe away from this damaging, these damaging two prevalent cheap drugs is in jail. You know, you know, uh, Sam. Just it. let me jump in and, and point out. We read an email on the air the other day of a guy who's turned his life around after a, a fairly prolonged meth addiction, and it was so interesting how he phrased one aspect of his journey. He said that. Uh, meth was essentially decriminalized right after he got arrested, and he said, thank God I dodged that bullet. It was only right. being incarcerated that, that stopped his use, and he's so grateful for it. And, you know, that's not some sort of idiotic, ham-handed, arrest-everybody argument, but no, it's, no. It's, it's true. It just is. It is, and I, I, I can tell you, I've been doing this now nine years, and the number of people have heard this so many times in long interviews and in short interview casual conversations on and on and on and every drug counselor's heard it as well that the best day of my life the best thing ever happened to me was that i was arrested uh got off the streets um in fact in dreamland my previous book uh a guy almost ordered me to quote him and i did uh in 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 new mexico in santa fe saying um uh the, the i want to thank the dea <laughs> for arresting me because uh, I would be dead uh, otherwise. Now he's doing very well. He's uh, we're still in contact on Facebook, and he's he's doing very well. And and but that happened because he was taken off the street. Just scratching the surface of the Armstrong and Getty Extra Large podcast with Sam Kinionis. Uh, his book is "The Least of Us: True Tales of America and Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth." Stay with us. We're going to finish strong. We're known for that. Don't go away. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Well, I'll tell you what, the thing that struck me the most is a guy who's, uh, from your interview, is a guy who's raising two young men. Um, 
the fact that there's no such thing as safe recreational drug use anymore. No, it's it's so dangerous. Yeah. Dang it. So if you want to hear more, it's an Armstrong and Getty Extra Large podcast with Sam Kenyonis. It can be procured at armstrongandgetty.com or wherever you like to get podcasts. Meanwhile, at the San Diego County Board of Supervisors meeting. Ivermectin, not just horse paste and hydroxychloroquine. Vitamin C and vitamin D. Then the zinc and quercetin. I won't wear a useless mask. I don't need to stay at home. And my kids should go to school. We don't need to be alone. I just want my freedom now. The Constitution will show us how. Make my dreams come true. Baby, I an emergency. Let's have a happy holiday, everybody. That's, ladies and gentlemen, Bridget. I give you Bridget <laughs> during her two minutes of public comment. <laughs> On uh, the whole mask thing, we got this text from somebody who said, the most extraordinary uh, mask wearing they've seen is he's a skydiver. And the other day I was in the back of an airplane waiting for my turn to jump out. And one of the guys waiting to jump in front of me was wearing a mask. I had to chuckle. <laughs> there you go. Oh, boy. Hey, whatever you want to do. Yeah, no kidding. Just don't make other people do it, huh? Um, I suppose I could fit this in here. We're going talk to talk about, to- once again, dozens of camels have been barred from the Saudi camel beauty contest over Botox use. Stay <laughs> Where were they giving the camels the Botox? Uh, the UAE. It's, right, in the cam- uh, right in the camel toe? <laughs> oh, boy. It doesn't say here, but uh, once again, I remember this happened a couple of years ago. We talked about this, that they have I this made cam- the same. I probably made the same joke. You may have. And, uh, you know, it was welcome then. It's welcome now. Uh, <laughs> but they have this big camel beauty contest, which is troubling. Anybody, anybody yeah. else thinking what I'm thinking? Yes. And evidently, you give your camel too much Botox, it, it does something. I don't know. But they use Botox injections, facelifts, and other cosmetic alterations to make the camels, quote-unquote, more attractive. Well, is this for people that want to make the beast with two backs with a camel? <laughs> going to put the uh, hump back in uh, Humpty Hump. Uh, <laughs> I guess you're going you're gonna to have to put that thing in a short skirt and... Slap some lipstick on it and get me really, really drunk. Just saying. I don't know. What if the camel, like, really cares about the stuff you're into? (laughs) And you become friends first, and then it blooms into something else. Like, really pays attention to you. Yeah, and understands me. Yeah. That's that's a good point. No other camel has ever understood me the way you do. This gets gets worse, folks. This year, authorities discovered dozens of breeders had stretched out the lips and noses of camels. Oh, boy. Used hormones to boost the beast's muscles. Injected camels' heads and lips with Botox to make them bigger. Inflated body parts with rubber bands and used fillers to relax their faces. This is really weird. You know... And it's really ruined the sanctity, the purity of camel right. beauty contests for me. Right. It's become so commercialized. If you're just born a good-looking camel, that's not enough anymore. Well, right. Or I you mean, work really out. Into, right, yeah. Oh, boy, do you work out? <laughs> exactly. Are these two hump or one hump? Uh, it doesn't say. I think, aren't two humps dromedaries? 
I don't know. That's not actually a camel? It's the sort of thing you learn when you're 11 years old. and Well, it's a kind of camel. Well, this happens with me all the time because I have an 11-year-old. There's all mm-hmm. kinds of things that I knew but don't remember anymore that he tells me about. And I think, oh, that's interesting. I learned that many years ago. have no idea why I learned it. Uh, didn't remember it. Saudi Arabia's popular King Abdulaziz Camel Festival uh, invites the breeders of the most beautiful camels to compete for some $66 million in prize money. How much? 66 mil, brah. Wow. I'm not stretching a camel's lips for anything, but if you're the sort who would, say, pull on the nose of your camel till it's the proper length, I suppose you'd do it for 66 mil. So I understand something about the way evolution works. Mm-hmm. Um, animals don't evolve to be the most attractive to people. It's usually got more to do with survival and that sort of stuff. Unless it's just kind of accidentally or so, coincidentally. Uh, who's deciding what is attractive in the camel world anyway? I mean, who's making the decisions that longer noses or shorter noses or rounder eyes or more almond-shaped eyes or whatever are the ideal? Who's making that decision? And stretching out the lips. I mean, that's weird enough when, when women get the duck lips going, but to camels, again, it's cold in the tent at night. Camel puts his nose under the tent, then his head, then his hooves. You've heard the story. And you're thinking, eh, you know, any port in a storm, you start smooching your camel. You start thinking, I wish it had stretch your lips. <laughs> I guess. You ever thought of getting collagen in those things, sweetheart, you say? Or was pillow little... talk after, you know, after the loving? Or was it a little darker brown or lighter brown or whatever it is you're into? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Sixty-some million dollars of the prize money for the Camel Beauty Contest. That's something else. That's weird, man. It's the biggest ever crackdown on Camel Beauty contestants. Uh, how much time have we got, Michael? Uh, zero. We're about to start final oh, thoughts okay. here. Okay, well, I won't tell a charming story. Uh, save it for tomorrow. Here's your host for Final Thoughts, Joe Getty. Hey, why not a final thought from everybody on the crew to wrap up the show for the day? Michelangelo is our technical director. He presses the buttons in the control room. Michael, final thought. You know, that story we just did may have been one of the weirdest stories <laughs> yeah. since I have worked on this show. Just yeah. strange. I would agree. Hey, Humpy, time for your lip stretching. Our behind-the-scenes producer, he's young Alex. He has a final thought for us. Alex? How'd you know my nickname from high school? Hey, I have a fight brewing at my house. Uh, I never park in the driveway, or in the garage, rather. My fiancé normally does. Well, I parked in the garage yesterday, and oh my god, it was warm when I got in this morning. I may never park in the driveway again. (laughs) She'll have to fight me for it. These are the things you gotta work out. Oh boy. Jack, a final thought to share? Yeah, so I'll just tell you my quick rundown on this, in case you're wondering. The gallbladder attack was the most painful thing I've ever had in my life by far. The actual surgery and recovery? Eh, you know, it ain't great. I'm not enjoying it. I wouldn't do it for fun. But it's it's not horribly awful. My insides seem very angry at me today, but, you know, you lay down, you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, my final thought is actually surgery-related. My dog, Baxter, uh, got his uh, tumor in his chest-slash-throat removed, but as they suspected, they probably didn't get everything because of where it is. Uh, thanks, everybody, for your emails and everything. Uh, we're going to do what's best. We're going to give him as much love and happiness as we can as long as he's with us. And uh, I'll be very, very sad when he goes, but uh, that's the, the beauty and the sadness of having a dog buddy. They don't last forever. No, they don't. Of course, none of us do, really. No. 
probably a good lesson for all of us around animals to be ready for the human variety, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. With kids, they get their most kids get their first opportunity to deal with that sort of thing around pets. I wonder if those big tortoises sit around saying, you know, that's the tragedy of humans. They only hang around for about 88 years, and then you got to get a new one. Or those parrots that live for 150 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, similar. Hmm. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people to thank so little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com for the podcast. If you miss a chunk of the show, just get it. Armstrong and Getty On Demand or the Extra Large Podcast. If there's something we ought to be talking about and you want to share your opinion, your experience, go ahead and email us. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Let's get late. Order your A&G swag. We've got some great stuff. Makes great presents. I hope Baxter has a miraculous good long run. But uh, when, when he is finally no more, are you going to go with a sexy camel for your next pet? Mm. Oh, yeah, and get, get to stretch it its lips, no doubt. <laughs> See you tomorrow. God bless America. Screw it. I'm leaving. Point of personal privilege. I think that right now, um, you know, the honeymoon's over. Let's go, Brandon. It's a little too much docky dog. Well, that bad, it can't care. Do you understand? I cannot understand the word you're saying. Come on. This is the United States of America, for God's sake. Make my dreams come true. Baby, I am the emergency. At least in that time, like the white women, like, excuse me. Forget the white women. Okay. Yeah. Take your turtleneck and get it. Thank you all very much. Armstrong and Getty.